Hi everyone, I'm Karina Gantis, host of Behind the Pen. Thank you for joining me for another show. Today I have the wonderful uh, Charlene uh, Jones uh, joining me today. Uh, hello Charlene, how are you? Hi Karina, I am fine, very, very well, thank you. And thank you for having me on your show. I'm very excited and pleased to be here. Whereabouts are you in the world at the moment? I love that we have to ask that question. We're all so global. It's very exciting. I've lived through a time when that was not the case. I'm in a small town just north of Toronto, Canada. My father's from uh, Canada. Um, he's uh, in the UK now, but he's uh, originally from uh, New Brunswick. That's very much to the east of me, about 1,500 to 2,000 miles to the east of where I I've, am. But I've never been, but my roots are from Canada, and I know I have aunties, cousins I've never met, and so hopefully one day, it's on my bucket list to go and visit, definitely. There you go. There you oh, go. Yeah. I, I want to go to the two sides of Canada, because I know you've got the Toronto side, which is all the skyscrapers, a bit like America, and then you have the Winnipeg side, where you pan for gold and it's a bit like being in a high Heidi film, you know. Well, well, <laughs> it's very sweet of you to consider that. I wouldn't suggest Winnipeg. Uh, if you want the Heidi experience, I would suggest Whistler in the Rocky Mountains, much far to the west, closer to Vancouver okay. than Winnipeg. Um, and pining for gold, yes, that would probably be the Yukon and the Northwest Territories. Well, that's good to know because it's it's on my bucket list. At least uh, I won't be going to the wrong place now. Um, <laughs> I know the second uh, language over in uh, Canada is French. Uh, do you speak French at all? Un petit peu. Ah. Comme le chien est très très lentement. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said, but it sounded lovely. I, I, I speak it like a dog. The French have such a beautiful lilt, and I, I've never been able to, although I studied conversational French just recently with a friend of mine, I, I don't have the lilt. I have much of a very heavy sort of comparison, a heavy English <laughs> speaking thud. And the, the French are just verbal alarm, and they're just so beautiful, you know. And I said that I have to speak it very slowly if I'm going to speak it at all. So. Do you do you speak? Uh, do you have to speak French anywhere in Canada, or is there places that? No, everyone speaks English. Yeah, it's everyone, including the French, speaking English. <laughs> it's the same as in Europe now. Everybody. Yeah, it's the main main language now, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, let's um let's talk books. Um, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you've always lived in Canada. What about um the schools you went to and what you studied? Your first job. Let's let's start there. Oh my goodness. Well, for that you'd have to read my memoir, My Impossible Life. <laughs> A little promo here. <laughs> uh, uh, the book has won two awards already, and I'm very pleased. It's only been out for four months, and it's oh, been wonderful. on the congratulations. Two or three Amazon categories, so I'm just bursting with pride um, and 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 gratitude because it's called My Impossible Life for a reason. Um, the major structure of the book is based in an experience I had when I was 16. I mm. ran away from home, and I was picked up by two armed felons who kept me hostage for three days. Oh my gosh! I was 
yeah, I was raped and tortured. And so I came back, and in those days we didn't have the words PTSD. You know, now we would identify it and say something happened, this person is not working in their world, they have changed. We would have some ways to know it was at least trauma of some form. We didn't have that in those days. It was somebody, the people just looked at me and thought, oh, something's wrong with her, she's just willful. And I've got a, apparently I was gifted with a very large IQ. So people used to just say, well, she's that crazy because she's smart. That was the old fashioned way of looking at things. And so uh, for about two years, I, three or four years, I stumbled around and was unable to function properly. But I enjoyed my time with the dark side of life, uh, people who had dropped out of the culture and who were content to see their own point of view and it taught me a great deal and I felt I felt like I belonged so that was a helpful feeling because I sure didn't belong in the day world and then I met this contentious western meditation teacher who had been recognized by the Tibetans excuse me <clears throat> his western name was Leslie George Dawson he was a, a, synchronistically enough he was from the same part of Toronto that I'm from he had gone to the same high school 20 years earlier. Oh, wow. And he was recognized by the heads of Tibetan Buddhism, one particular uh, man called the 16th Gyalwang Karmapa, who was, I think, still revered as a great mystic. And he recognized him. And so I began, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to travel. And I traveled behind this man with his group of about a hundred people uh, through India. I had various ex expansive kinds of experiences with him, including <laughs> me in India looking for a taverna where I could drink because I was quite interested in <laughs> absolving a lot of my world experience through alcohol in those days. How old were you then? 20. Right. Okay. Carry on. I was in the north of India in a temple <clears throat> when I was 20 years old and uh, did the initiations in the Tibetan tradition. Wow. And so I was given this extraordinary abundance of healing energy because there's no doubt in my mind, their, their healing technology, their mind technology, their mental technology is powerful and it works. The problem is of course, culturally they are medieval. So I traveled with uh, Dawson and we did a three month total silent retreat, meditation retreat. I did that when I was 21. And that was a very big mind changer and life changer. It strengthened me enough that I could then go on and begin to continue to travel. It took me two and a half years of traveling through various adventures to get back to Canada, which is all I ever wanted. <laughs> Once I was there, I wanted to get home again immediately couldn't do it and it probably saved my life that I couldn't do it. Mm. You know, I would have just stayed in the dark life and stayed there until I met an early demise, but it didn't happen that way. And uh, I was traveling and then uh, I stayed shortly in Toronto. Um, and uh, eventually I began working with all of the meditations and Dawson was unusual in that he was Orthodox Tibetan one day and then completely Western the next day wow. and flowing all this energy about healing and about how you heal to all of us. 
And although he turned out to be a very nefarious human being, quite um, scurrilous, and I don't mean to use fancy words like that except to say he was a serial rapist. I didn't know that, uh, but the young men in the group were being uh, <clears throat> tortured and raped by him. At the time? So the Pardon me? At the time that you were with him on this store, he was doing that? He was doing that everywhere he was. He had a group of people, uh, the, the in crowd that hung around him, the young men predominantly, but there were at least one or two women uh, who knew that he was doing this. And from the outside, because I was never on the in crowd, I, but that was okay with me because I w I've always been an outlier. It didn't, it just felt normal to me to not be the one included. Yeah. That's not so self-paying and it isn't. It's just that I got freedom of being an outlier has always appealed to me. Mm. But yeah, so I didn't know. I had no idea. Maybe others in the group kind of knew or didn't. I, I can't speak to their experience. Mm. I can only speak to mine and say that the irony or the intense paradox was that the man who gave me the tools to heal my life was himself a serial rapist. That is so bizarre. It is more than bizarre. It goes on. The man who I was with, one of the men, the two men who held me hostage for three days, one of them fell in love with me. Now, <clears throat> I just have to say that that uh, will addle a young woman's brain quite significantly because he was also a murderer. So he fell in love with you in those three days or after that you escaped or after? Oh, no, just, they went to jail. And they, they went fell in love with you then, and you what, tried to get in touch with you, send you letters. I mean, how did you? Nope. In those three days, he was in love with me enough that he convinced Al not to kill me. His name was Gary. The other man's name was Al. He convinced Al not to kill me. He's the had, reason I stayed alive. Had they been stalking you? Did, did he know? No. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, he's <laughs> mentally, I know he's mentally disturbed anyway for doing what he did, but... He's more than mentally disturbed for thinking that he's in love with someone that he's met in three days. Well, yeah, you know, he didn't use the words love, but it was very clear to me that he was treating me differently. <clears throat> he was much kinder to me. He did not rape me. The other man did. He did not tie me to a chair and torture me. The other man did. So for me, there was that split. <clears throat> At the same time, the man who was kind to me, Gary, was actually the man who pulled the trigger and I watched the two men blow a man away with a shotgun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's, but the thing is about the book is I've been, there's a great review that was written by a man named Ken Karzak, who's in the US. He just came out, I met him on LinkedIn and he just... Yeah. <clears throat> he just wanted to review my book or he agreed to and he gave me the most powerful review because he said that it's well written and that it is not helpless it's not about all oh, this all this horrible that's the thing i have to always remind people this is not what the book is about the book is about healing it's about positivity <clears throat> what, what he said through, but what you've come out with and, and yes how you see everything now yeah what he says, and it's, it was the deepest hope in my heart and why I'm motivated to actually write about it. He said, and I think this is a paraphrase of one of the last statements. He says that this book is important for anyone 
who needs a get out of hell free card because it describes the path home, that there is a path out. You see, you have to work at it. That's true. But we all have to work. And so you work at consciousness as opposed to or in along with other things. How long did it take you to write that book? I mean, you must have really gone back into some dark places to actually be able to write it all down. I mean, I put my, I've had some experiences in my life and I've never done a memoir. I don't know if I ever will, but there's always pieces of me, even in my novels. And I can say they're a little bit biographical, but I won't tell them which parts are biographical. So I know that you have to go back to that dark place to get it written down. And I can imagine the experience you had at the beginning and then the experience you had while you were going through the enlightening part with the, with the Tibetans um, to, to write about all of that. I mean, how long did it take you? 50 years. <laughs> I always say to people, it took me 50 years. I wrote The Stain first. It's a fiction work based in reincarnation. Then I wrote Medicine Buddha, Medicine Mind. Now this is interesting, I think, because it shows how, according to neuroscience, visualization and mantra work, which are slightly different meditations from mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness is a great meditation tool, but there's many, many forms of meditation. And the one that I use the most involved visualizing and mantra work and neuroscience now tells us how that changes the structure of our brain and how it heals us wow so i wrote a little book very simple and easy to read because i really wanted a lot of people to benefit from it and uh, so i've been gratified a couple of people some people have bought it slow sales but um, i'm getting very good reviews And uh, people are realizing that there's a way to use your mind. You see, we're just on the actual brink of understanding we have the power to change our own consciousness. I agree with that. I agree with that. And ultimately, whatever else we're doing, that's what we're also doing or need to do. And I wrote this book. Now, you mentioned that I'd have to go back. I never went back because I never got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. The path was, and why it doesn't bother me to talk about it, and it's harder on other people when they realize what I'm talking about than it is on me. I'm clear of the emotional energies because I worked with all the tools I had to clear that up, to clear the emotional residue and resonance and holding back. And it's in your body. It was in my body. So I worked directly with body work for decades. So for me, the path was not going back. I didn't have anything to go back for, and I didn't have anything to go back with. I didn't have a properly formed state of consciousness. Instead, for me, the pathway was building an ego structure and a consciousness that was strong enough, eventually, to let the darkness come through. So the book talks about that and about how, in the last moments of the healing, my my sensory data opened up. And I knew that I was back in the world that I had always wanted to be back in, which is when prior to all this happening. So the path really does, it really does describe that kind of development. We usually think someone starts and goes back into their darkness. But for me, and I think there's a lot of people like that, 
the darkness is something that you have to build yourself out of. And that was the path I wanted to describe. So by the time I had written The Stain, and the time I'd written Medicine Buddha, Medicine Mind, and I wrote them in that order, then I was ready to write the memoir. Uh, and by that time, uh, you had opened our talk today by asking about where I went to school and so forth. Well, I went to Boise State University in Idaho. I was very pleased to be able to go there. And I took seven years of how you teach writing, which meant I had to write in various different forms and I had to learn how to think about writing. And so I was immersed in that world, which was extremely helpful. Then the, he or the healing kind of took place at about the same time. But in any case, when I came to writing this book, I realized that memoir is a very different structure. So it took me five years to actually write the memoir, but I had already done the healing. So uh, re recently I was given the opportunity to speak with Linda Joy Myers of the National Association of Memoir Writers. And we had an interview and she suggested that I talk about the difference between writing trauma and trauma writing. Mm. So first write about the trauma, that's trauma writing. You write as you're in it, yep. as you are healing. But while you're doing that, you must put a timeline on it. You must stop it at about an hour a week and no more. James Pennebaker, who's the leader in all of this, he says 20 minutes, two or three times a week. That's about an hour a week. If you want to go in and do it intensely, do it in one hour session, but don't do the rest of the week is not about it. The, the rest of the week you, and this is how I started to heal. The rest, it's a meditation technique. The rest of the week, my job was to keep my mind on the positive. I was in school, I was doing a number of things and I had to keep my mind on where I was, which kept me out of that darkness, except when I chose to go back in. Well, yeah, I mean, was when, when, I, when I was writing, that things like that I have to I wrote it wrote it down you like I said you get back into that experience back into being that person again and then you have to walk away well yes. I didn't have I didn't have a timeline of uh, walking away for for two hours or whatever you just need to walk away you need to get back to reality get back to what you your normal life before you go back to the book because you're not going, the whole book isn't about darkness. It's like you said, it's about coming out of it and who you become because of experiencing that and going through that experience. And I think even with my novels, like I said, I put some of myself in it. It gives me closure. It has given me closure. Just writing that down. Um, there is a uh, supernatural, um, a young adult supernatural thriller called uh, Stone Cold. And apart from the supernatural elements and the murders, um, the rest of it was all me. And it was going from bu being bullied at school to being uh, suicidal. No, um, exactly. And, so and, and how I got through to it. Um, basically, I killed off all my bullies in my in my book, so it's, it was very uh, it was very uh, yeah. therapeutic to do it. Um, but it's yeah. a, it, it is a novel; it is a young adult, and it is um, it's supernatural, and it's nothing to do with uh, um, what happened to to me personally. But it has some of me in it, and I, I did get closure from writing that. So I do understand. Oh, exactly. 
I'm so sorry that you had that experience. You know, suffering is suffering and it doesn't matter. I have a friend who spent 45 days in a Brazilian prison, mm. came out to become a good mother and uh, a woman who became the first general manager of a men's hockey team, the Florida Hammerheads. Pro I mean, this is power. This is a woman of power. And she and I have talked about this experience, these experiences we've had. I think I was one of the first, if not the only, she was certainly my own, the only one I've ever spoken with. Karen Kelk, her book is called The Parrot's Perch. And again, it's an arc of healing. It's an arc of inspiration. It's an arc of how do you do it? Um, Karen and I agree that it, there's not like a beaker or a standard that says this much suffering will cause this much damn. It's not like that. You were, you were subjected to a violence on your psyche through that bullying that it hurts my heart when I think about it. It is very sad. And the fact that you were suicidal. I, that, I wish I wish like you, I wish I could have been like you and been able to, to, um, to get through it and to throw that darkness away and forget about what happened and not let it affect me. But that bullying has gone through all my life. I've took that, whereas the ones that did the bullying, they get on with their life and they forget about it. But the ones that have been bullied physically and mentally through their lives, don't forget about what happened on that playground. Don't forget about what happened when they tried to run home after school. That stays there. And what you're talking about in your memoir and what you've done with your meditation and everything, to be able to get through what you got through and to become who you are now is I just admire you so much I think it's amazing and I wish oh. there was a way for me to be able to to pass that subject but it, it hasn't it stayed with me and it's come out in my books and it's it's always going to be with me and, and when I go on interviews and I I talk about it and I say it's okay for the bullies to get on with their life and they forget about it but they don't realize that what they've done to somebody is going to carry on through their lives when they're married and they have children and they worry for their children to go through the same thing they went through, you know? Well, and I certainly, you know, my, I come to tears listening to what you're saying. Um, they, I think though that there's a, there's an extraordinary thing happening so that, for example, you just said it, you said, so that my children don't go through that. If we understand that rape and torture and bullying and all of the terrible things that so many of us have lived with have been with the human race from time beginning. This is not an aberration. This is not we're worse than ever. This is us saying no. This is us, the parents, the fathers, the mothers saying not for my kids. That never happened in our species. It was like, well, get out there and do the best you can. And I did okay. And you'll be all right get on with it yeah. that's not good anymore we, we understand again we understand there's a psychic component there's a consciousness that needs to be carefully buffered and held until it's strong enough to take some of the darkness of the world in its inclusion and that doesn't mean getting physically bullied or getting hurt it means just being aware of that because you've been protected properly this is all brand new as a species this is as dynamic to me as when we stood up on our hind leg to write. That's the times we're in. We're in these extraordinary healing times. And so my offering was just to put 
oh dear, <laughs> um, to offer whatever I could from my small life and the extraordinary experiences, both heaven and hell, that I was, for whatever reason, I was thrown into. I, and I don't consider myself any different from anyone. I had to keep going, was all. There was no option. You never And the ways up. that I... You never gave up. And people, people in your oh. situation, they, a lot of them would have given up a lot of times um, to, to go through... Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Go, go Let's ahead. move energy and I'll tell you a funny story about giving up so there I am in India right and I'm I'm 20 years old and I decided well you know this is all well and good but I want to go back to the bars and the drinking and whatever my parents had been so mad at me for leaving 20 year old girl just you have to read the story I just got on an airplane and I said well I'm either going to India or Australia I'll start with India who does this crazy women do this not nuts but I knew it was going to be all right because I'd had a vision but I couldn't say that to them because nobody believes in vision. Yeah. My family, my women, the women in my family are Celtic visionaries. So anyway, there I am in India and I've had it. So I write letters home to everybody I know and I write to my parents and I say, please send money because I just need to come home now. I've had enough. This has been fine, but it's been fun. Thank you very much. So we get to Australia and we're at, at the American Express and I'm so excited because I figure there's a ticket in there somewhere and I'm going home. And I'm reading through all my friends. Not, nobody has any money. I think one kind person sent me a $5 Canadian bill. Got my father's letter. I'd had it at the bottom of the pile. It's on these little tiny pages like this. And he's writing to me about the dog and about grandma and about the new furniture they got. And at the very end of the letter, he says, oh, yes, by the way, about your request, Buddha will provide. Get a job. <sighs> Oh, that's what my father said. And that saved my life. That is why I knew there was no out. For two and a half years, I had no out. I could not get home. And that, so it wasn't, it wasn't that I was born with that knowledge or ability. It's that circumstances and my father's wisdom. And I don't say he was great in every way at all, but he would not bring me home. I think he kind of knew, maybe, that I would just go back to my evil ways. <laughs> I mean, it's fate. Everything that happens to you is fate. There's a reason yeah. for behind it. There's a reason why we go through what we go through. I truly exactly. believe that, whether it's an, uh, a nightmare experience, a shattering, um, a shattering time, but I think there's a reason why we go through what we go through. I agree. And the notion of healing is lifelong. It's never too late. And that's what neuroscience, which is the most exciting thing, I think, that, especially if anyone who's listening has been hurt, read some of Norman Doidge's book, The Brain That Changes Itself. He's a Canadian and he took all these different stories and he's a doctor and he writes in very simple terms about neurogenesis. That means how the brain actually changes the pathways and we change the pathways of our brain, which is all electricity. It's just electrical pathways. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, it isn't just, it's hugely amazing. And then there's nerves and neurons and glial cells and all kinds of interesting things going on in our entire bodies. It's fascinating. But the excitement of neuroscience says you don't have to stay in the pain you've been in. In Medicine Buddha, Medicine Mind, I write from uh, about a man named Dr. Michael Moskowitz, 
who was uh, and is a, a pain specialist and a psychiatrist in the U.S., mm -hmm. who had a neck injury, the back of a boat, hurt himself so badly he became a pain patient. Mm -hmm. and this is in like the 1990s or 19, say, just turning into the turn of the millennium. He's in pain so bad that he's just, even the painkillers aren't helping and he can't get out of it. He starts reading neuroscience. He reads, he figures he read about 15,000 pages of neuroscience. He would be reading all of the documents and the studies and the, you know, the, he'd know all the language. And what he came to was he, he then drew three pictures of his brain. One is a healthy brain. He spent 20 minutes a day, three times a day, looking at the healthy brain as well. And within a year and a half, he was pain-free enough that he could get off the drugs. Now, I'm not saying that he's ever going to be able to, you know, swing his neck around, but he's off drugs and he's functioning again. A patient came to him, and you see physical pain and emotional pain register the same way in the brain. The brain does not make the difference. So your emotional pain is physically felt in your body because the body is registering the emotional pain. And I know about that deeply because of the work I've had to do. But being tortured was also physical pain. So it's all a mess in the brain that way. Pain is registered in, in the same way. So he has a patient, her name was Jan Sandin, and she was a, uh, an emergency nurse who had a client slam down on her shoulders. The client was losing their, weight, their feet and was starting to fall, slammed down on her shoulders. The client was 280 pounds. And Jane, what Jan was a small woman, like even if you're a tall woman, it wouldn't matter. She had literally crushed five of her vertebrae and had spent 10 years oh in such a drug haze that she couldn't even read or watch television. She went to Michael Moskowitz and what she thought was, oh, well, if 20 minutes, three times a day works, I'm going to do it 12 hours a day and see what happens. So she put herself literally into a meditation retreat and just kept focusing on this powerful brain of hers and kept thinking about it and kept whatever else she did. I'd love to talk with both of these people. <laughs> and within a year and a half, she's off pain meds. Now, I'm a, I, I, because of my particular healing arc, I'm so deeply interested in how people heal. I have a friend I just did a podcast for, Josephine Jones, and uh, she had a telephone pole fall on the car she was parked in it went right on her head and she spent the last three decades or four decades healing from that enough that she's now fully functional and she's an expert in pain and to the point where the military in the U.S. have hired her wow because they know that she's had TBI traumatic brain injury she's gone through PTSD she tried to medicate through alcohol and the military men, particularly those coming back from war, have many of them, all of these same experiences. So she's an expert in this. She's brought in to do workshops. This is what's happening. Everyone needs to know there is a way to heal. Healing those memories of the outer world take time. But it, with love and with remembering, every time you get a moment of, oh, that bullying, bring up a moment of when somebody was kind to you. Bring that moment up and focus on that moment because that is just as true and just as powerful. And that is one of the meditation techniques I learned a long time ago. And it has been very helpful. Let's so, 
um, your, your books. You've got three books. Are they self-published or are you with a publisher? I'm self-published because I'm old. <laughs> I don't have the time to wait around for an agent to decide I'm worthwhile and then for a publisher to decide I'm worthwhile. Are you happy being self-published even though it's obvious your memoir, especially with the awards it's won and the reviews it's getting, it's definitely worth getting the publishing contract from someone who's, you know, would you, if you were offered one, would you go that way? Or are you happy the way you are now self-published? I feel like that's asking me, would I ride a unicorn if it showed up? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Finding an agent is like finding the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yes, I understand, I understand that. But I think it was when, when your, pop, your book gets up in the charts, when you start getting awards, when the reviews go up, that's when people start knocking on your door. Well, I mean, if that's meant to happen, you know, I guess my biggest question would be, what is the audience that they can offer me that I don't already have? I've had interviews with people in Arizona, radio interviews and interviews with people basically like yourself around the world. And um, I'm working with learning how to market the books more successfully. That's what I'm doing right now before I dive okay. into the next book is how to market, especially right at the moment I'm using Amazon ads and I'm working with that. I want to learn as much as I can. Um, so my question to any publisher would be, what are you offering me that I can't do or don't have? If you can offer that, yes, I get to more people because I want the book to be a statement, if it can be, of how you can heal. You can heal. If I can do it, you can do it. That's, it's that simple. My brain and your brain are not that different. They're not different at all. And so if you want to heal, you can do it. It takes effort. It takes energy. There's a deep level of misunderstanding about healing. And that is, you get to a point, you think, oh, I've healed that, so now things are getting better. And then all of a sudden, you have a nightmare or you have an experience in the world and you feel like you're right back in it. But you think of that as that's the unconscious or the depth mind, I call it, the depth mind that knows everything much better than we do. Night dreams are amazing. They are an amazing way to heal us. We are being given gifts every night. The depth mind will say, oh, you're doing better. Well, the depth mind doesn't just say, okay, go take a vacation. What it says is deal with this now, work with this now. This is the next level. This is the next stage for you. And if you take it on and you work with that and you get better at it and better at it, then comes the next level and the next level. So there's this constant sense of being held in a passionately intelligent, loving energy that pushes us forward into being more and more of what it is we need to be. And Tell once you Sally, get that, what's next for you? Are you going to write another book in a nonfiction one again about what your another one to do with health and mind and so are you about right how, the moment? I've been asked to meditate, to write a book on how we meditate, how to do this. This is the book that says how Western science agrees with visualization, but I've had a couple of people ask me to write, how do I do that? What's the best way to meditate it? So I'm, I've got that book formulating in my mind. Wonderful. It's not ready for any kind of commitment to paper yet, and yeah. I'm busy with the marketing. So yeah. Marketing and audiobooks are right, in, right up front for me now. 
audiobook good that's the next that's the next stage i mean as a as a self-published author um i don't think readers realize uh, writing a book is is hard it is especially one that you've like what you've written but the marketing and the promotion that comes after it is actually harder than writing the damn book because it's up to us to get our name and our book out there and it's no good you know people see posts and they see oh yeah you know hundreds thousands of book posts on facebook all the time saying read my book read my book read my book because you're the author and you're telling them it's brilliant but what's going to sell that book is someone who's already read the book it's word of mouth it's you being face to face with a potential reader that's what sells a book not an author saying oh buy my book it's brilliant so um marketing and promotion it changes all the time um there are you know there are amazon ads it's just gone totally upside down to how it used to be and it's totally bizarre now how they're doing their ads um to how they were four months ago i would say they've changed it um everything changes all the time and you have to keep up with the with what's going on and and the, the marketplace and how things are changing and they say uh, for people that are watching this later on um we are now going through um a very um, scary uh, um pandemic of uh, coronavirus that's actually killed thousands and thousands of people all over the world and they're saying because people are being forced into this lockdown everyone's reading and book sales are going up well i would like to say not in my case <laughs> because what's happening is all these people that have gone out and got these free books or 99 cents books over the years and filled their kindle up they're now reading the books from their kindle so they're not buying new books and I've had people say, you know, um, I can't, I love that your book's free, but I can't download it because my Kindle's full. Things, things are changing. And I think, um, well, the world's changing now, especially with what we're going through and the, uh, when we get back on our feet and the economy and everything, things are going to be a lot different to how they used to be. Um, and I think it's going to affect us as writers. It's going to affect us as promoters and marketers um and we have to keep up with uh, the new things that are going to be happening um so it's good that you're learning yourself now how to market your books um it, it's not easy because we're doing it ourselves it's not and it's costly and it takes a lot of time and um i just wanted readers to understand that uh, you know it's it's uh, it's very very hard for uh, independent self-published authors to to sell their books it is and there's so much competition out there it's unbelievable um no. i'm a novelist you're a non-fiction author you um write non-fiction and you you've done your memoir um and you're going to carry on i think with non-fiction because that's i'm that's, really drawn to creative non-fiction exactly that's who you are that's who you are um yeah. and and that advertising that and promoting that is very different from promoting a, a young adult fantasy book it's a very the market is, is is you've got a much clearer field i agree with you 100 percent. the the young anything to do with fiction is such a large market 
that to get one or two sales is really something. It, it you know, is. And, yeah. and I, 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 because of the life I've lived, I have this attitude internally of it's really not up to me. It's up to me to show up and do the advertising that I can do, to do the marketing that I can do. But beyond that, not my will, but thy will. The great energies that run the universe have a better plan in mind than anything I could drum up in my pea brain, that's for sure. <laughs> and have always. So have we're always. We're leaving it to fate. We're leaving it to fate again. Destiny. You make the choice. Destiny is what happens out of fate. There's fate. And then you make it happen out of your destiny because you make choices. Yeah. You know, and traditionally published books are now the authors are in the same position. They have to build a platform. They have to do their own marketing. So my question is, I'm not sure what traditional publishers do. My Impossible Life. There's a wonderful woman who did my editing and my cover and does the layout. Her name is Sue Reynolds. She, had run, she and her husband run a company called Ink Slingers. She has a relationship with a woman named Shelley Macbeth who runs Blue Heron Books, the second most well-known and, and well-regarded independent bookstore in Canada. They're right in my neighborhood. How lucky is that? Sue, when I started writing for her about my story, took my work to Shelley. Mm -hmm. Shelley had an arrangement with a woman in uh, Penguin uh, who was uh, um, named uh, uh, Adrian Kerr, lovely woman. She read my work and gave it up to a woman who was the acquisitions manager at Penguin. Mm -hmm. So I was told, and it had gone boom, 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 right up to Diane Turbide. Now, just at that moment, this is this is life, fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm thinking this is it. I'm, I'm on my way, right? Penguin, yeah, it doesn't yeah, get yeah, bigger. Yeah. Penguin and Random House were merging, and I never heard back. I never heard back from anybody. It was like it, crickets at that level, just wow. gone. Because my guess is she was so swamped with everything else that whatever she looked at or whatever that file was, did, didn't, or whatever. And so I... That was my signal. The way I interpreted that was not to get angry or upset. I mean, I cried a little bit, of course. <laughs> but, and I was disappointed, of course. But then I went, you know what? That's the universe telling me I have to self-publish. I'm supposed to, to self-publish. Mm -hmm. You get that close and it doesn't happen to me. That's that, and that is what, to me, that's going on all the time. It isn't about anything personal. It's about we each have a little path and a little, in my case, a little path one foot after another just a little life and you just put it out there the very best you can if someone writes a good review i'm totally honored i'm totally pleased and i and i don't i don't get involved in you know the other things about traditional publishers are great i think that what they do is they offer you the editorial skills the book cover skills the layout skills suggestions around where to market and how to market and and having their name behind so there there is a give i get all four of those from sue and james dewar her husband in their company ink slingers they are amazing really reasonable to work with um and and very very intent about all of the titles that they have published mm -hmm. so if it's all in one and it's not a, exactly a hybrid because you just pay her for a piece of whatever you're doing and then it, the book is mine and whatever sales I make, they're mine. And so I get whatever the cut is on whatever platform I'm using or when I'm out, it's all. So, you know, we, 
we are in a changing world and we have to just, I think, go with it and realize those people who are in the big five are fighting to get their own livelihood going and keep themselves afloat and everybody works so hard. And I'm so grateful that at this stage in my life, I don't work that hard. I work at my work, at my books and so on, but I can take time off and enjoy my life. And that's in the long run. I only get negative when I'm tired. <laughs> I've learned, I'm like a little child. Then I just say, Shar, you have to go to sleep now because you're just so negative. Where can we find these amazing books? Uh, they're all on Amazon for sure. And I have them uh, listed with Ingram Sparks. So they're in Barnes and Nobles. They're in Chapters Indigo. Uh, they're in Nook. They're in Kobo. They're in as many of those places that I can possibly. And they can get them from me. I would happy to uh, do send them out. Do you have a website as well? I do. It's called uh, www.soulsciences, S-O-U-L-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S dot net, N-E-T. And you find my podcast there and you find my books listed there. So, and, and send me a line, drop me a line. If you enjoyed the podcast, the, the interview we're doing, I would love to hear your comments. Thank you so much, Karina. No, thank you for coming on the show. It's been absolutely enlightening talking with you, Charlene. Uh, I wish you all the best with uh, your next publication. Thank you. And to you for all of the work you're doing to help get everybody's word out there. May all of your books do very, very well. And we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thank you.